The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Monstrous Regiment, featuring a roundtable of Dominion women seeking to honor Jesus Christ in applying God's Word fearlessly and faithfully in all callings and seasons of life, both in and out of the home, reversing the curse and smashing pagan strongholds. How did the sexual revolution create and cultivate an environment for sexual abuse leading to the Me Too movement? That's what we're going to be discussing today. I'm Liz Sachs. And I'm Tony Kolb. And we are the Monstrous Regiment. So, Tony, you're a little bit new to the Monstrous Regiment. Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit for um, some folks who are listening and don't know much about you? Right. Um, So... I've been following the Monsters Regiment, and I'm friends with a lot of the ladies here. And um, they asked me to um, join them, and I was super excited because I have always enjoyed speaking out about women's issues and um, um, human rights, humanitarian issues and all that. And um, been super passionate for the last 10 years about issues such as singleness and being a Christian. Um, and um, relationships between men and women, and can we be friends, and all that. So, um, and now I find myself married. I've been married for two months, and um, and I and I love it, and it's great. And um, I've also been an abolitionist for the last couple of years, and so um, everything about the Monstrous Regiment I am passionate about. I'm really excited to um, join the family. Yeah, we're excited to have you. um on to our topic today the um sexual revolution leading to the me too movement so one of the first points that i was going to discuss today um is regarding the fact that the the me too movement being backlash against sexual abuse and um folks uh, ladies coming out and saying i was abused too this is wrong um one of the things that our, our thesis for today is that the sexual revolution itself and the sexual ethics that came out of the sexual revolution led to a culture that, you know, led to sexual abuse. So one of the first thesis that I have um, is that if we don't understand love properly, we can't understand abuse properly. And so since the sexual revolution got love wrong, um, nothing but abuse can ultimately come out of it. Uh, one of the first scriptures, and first I'm going to make a scriptural case for this, but the first scripture that I have here is um, Genesis one twenty seven, and it says, then God, this is 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Notice he said, let them have dominion. Mm -hmm. So he created man in his own image, and the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So he created both males and females in his image and gave them dominion over the earth, not over one another. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyways, when we look at 
if we if we're going to have a right understanding of love, then first we've got to have a right understanding of that God has created us in His image. That's what gives us dignity. That's what gives us worth. Um, and God's law is Jesus summed it up as love the Lord your God and then love your neighbor as yourself. So if we're to understand love, we need to understand God's law. And when it comes to sex. Um, it is within the bounds of marriage. So why did God place sex within the bounds of marriage in his law? Well, he gives his own explanations as far as that goes. So in 1 Corinthians 7, he talks about self-control. And he says, um, it is it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman but because of the temptation to sexual immorality each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband the husband should give his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband for the wife does not have authority over her own body but the husband does likewise the, likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body but the wife does so he talks about marriage as the, the appropriate context for sex in Hebrews 13, 4, it specifically says that marriage is to be held in high honor and the marriage bed it should not be defiled. Um, so there are other places where, for instance, Proverbs says that, Proverbs 6, 32 says, he who sins sexually destroys himself. Um, and in Genesis 2, 24, it says that man and woman are a one flesh union. So when he, when a husband destroys himself sexually by sinning sexually, he destroys his wife also because she's in one flesh union with him. Um, but it's not just that God's view of sex is prohibitive. Um, his view of sex within marriage is positive as well. Um, hold on a second. We get a, a guess. <laughs> so, um, Anyways, his view of, um, of sex in marriage is not just negative. It's also positive. So he specifically states in Proverbs 5, 18 through 19. Um, in the beginning of Proverbs 5, he talks about the forbidden woman and how she'll destroy you. Um, but then he goes on to say later in uh, verse 18, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight and be delight and be intoxicated always in her love. So he tells his son, he goes on to tell her not to be, tell him, sorry, not to be intoxicated by the forbidden woman, but to be intoxicated with his wife. So like there's a positive view of sex as well um, yeah. in that sex within marriage is a gift. Um, mm -hmm. It, it's it's an expression of love within marriage. Um, but man's law is different than God's law. It's pretty much summed up in do as thou wilt. Um, so he says, do whatever, man says, do whatever you want. Have sexual freedom, so to speak, um, which is not really freedom. It's actually slavery. And God has a lot to say about that as well. He talks about how destructive that is. He talks about how much um, it harms but whoever sins sexually sins against his own body, says that First Corinthians 6. Um, he also talks about how um, 
people who sin against God. And he gives a list of sins, but he includes sexual immorality. Um, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he says multiple times that um, it's sinning against your own body, both in Romans um, and in, I want to say Corinthians as well, and in Proverbs, he says that. Um, so basically, sex is positive within God's paradigm, within God's law. It is an expression of love. But outside of that, it destroys your body, abuses your partner because it destroys their body also. And so um, just starting with that basis of if we misunderstand what God has given to us in sex, then it will lead to a culture of abuse because what we're essentially doing is rejecting the good paradigm in which God has given us a good thing and creating our own self-destructive paradigm that destroys us and anybody else who participates with us. Mm-hmm. So that's my, my first thesis statement. Um, but going on to the history of the um, Me Too movement, uh, or sorry, not Me Too movement, sorry, of the, the sexual revolution. Right. Um, if we go to that, a lot of people will think of the 60s, right? They're going to go back to... Um, Folks saying, you know, free love, free sex, Woodstock. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the foundations actually go much deeper to that. I would say it goes back to the 1800s where Darwin came out with his his theory of natural selection and basically dehumanized human beings, stating that we're just highly evolved animals. And so in doing so, he removed that foundation for understanding God's law, the idea that we're created in God's image and that he has given us a purpose and he's given us dominion. um, And that's what sets us apart from the animals. Darwin removed that. And in removing that, he set up the stage for all sorts of atrocities Um, Not that atrocities had not ever happened before Darwin in history, but for new ones. Um, So because he dehumanized humans and put them on the level of animals, it opened up a whole world for objectification of human beings and led to this idea. um, And I mean, this was during the, the age of enlightenment where everybody was looking at their reasoning and their ability to, um, have logic and so on and so forth. So if you think back to that time, it was okay for young men to be going and hiring prostitutes socially. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not okay for a woman to have her virtue um, impugned or, or threatened. So men in that time would protect the women in their families to protect their own honor. Um, but any lady who wasn't in their family was pretty much fair game to them, I guess. Um, so culturally men were allowed licentiousness, but women were not allowed licentiousness. Um, men were allowed it so long as it was within certain parameters, like have a mistress, but don't tell the world or, or so on and so forth. So the sexual revolution that happened in the sixties was like this response of like, we can have sex anywhere with anyone, no matter who we are. So they were opening up a world of sexual licentiousness to everyone everywhere at any time. So am I right, Liz, when, um, am am I correct in thinking that you're saying 
that when Darwin um, dehumanized people and compared them to the animals, that he kind of took away um, people's value and worth um, because he was stripping them away from, well, God made human beings in the image of God. He made them valuable. And so you take that away and say, actually, we're just a bunch of animals. Therefore, you can do whatever you want, right? Yeah, that's pretty much what he did. And the thing is, like, any time, anywhere that we magnify the, the law of man, there is going to be abuse. So right. what Darwin did, he set the stage for humanism. He set the stage for um, the law of man. He set the stage for this idea that men are animals and they can't control themselves. So mm -hmm. they can go ahead and prey on anybody because, you know, they, they really can't control themselves. So um, it, it kind of led to this idea that we can't have self-control. But we just looked at the scripture and the scripture says over and over again, you look through all of these ones, First uh, Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 7, they both point to self-control as being important, um, as being a Christian virtue. Um, mm -hmm. and, and the reason for that is when we have self-control, it's loving God and loving our neighbor. But the opposite idea, the idea that the sexual revolution held forth was that we didn't have to have self-control and in some cases weren't even capable of having self-control. So do as thou wilt. Do what you do. Um, and the thing is, when sex is, is divorced from God's um, law and from who God is and from who Christ is, I mean, my husband actually made this point. He said that when we do that, um, we're, we're denying God and the nature of God and the nature of his salvation. Because when you think about it, sex is the consummation of marriage, which is a picture of Christ in the church, right? Right. So, um, when we abuse sex, something that is meant to um, bring life and meant to be an expression of love, we're bringing death. Sorry. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Elijah, he has something to say too. <laughs> right. It yeah, also yeah. Um, it also takes away the um, the authority, right? Because if you're saying that there is no God, that we evolve, that we are in control of ourselves, that we get to say what is um, the moral code, we get to define that. You're taking away the authority. Who say who says that this is right and this is wrong? So there's there's that too, right? We're, we're taking away God's authority. We're taking away God's gifts. Um, we're misdefining love, and we're glorifying death for us and for our children. Because what has been one of the natural outpourings of the sexual revolution? If if we want women to be equal to men and able to be as licentious as men, well, then we have to take away pregnancy. So murder, death. Abortion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's that's what we've done. And we've sinned against our own bodies. We've sinned against our partner's bodies. And now we add sin on top of it. We sin against our children as well. We destroy what is good and what is a gift from God and make it into something else that becomes very destructive. And um, it just tears away at the fabric of society basically. 
Um, but anyways, the third point that I was going going to also um, elucidate was sex as a ritual for self-worship. This is a point that Rush Dooney made in his Institutes of Biblical Law that um, sex is often used in service to idolatry. Um, so we will use other humans as objects. We'll dehumanize them. We'll sacrifice them for our own self-worship. I don't care what I do to so-and-so as long as I get what I want. And we deify pleasure. We make our own pleasure um, first and foremost. Um, in Romans 1, it talks about this. Romans 1, 24 through 27. It says that they their natural relations for unnatural ones. And it talks about how they worship the creation rather than, than the creator. And it talks about where this leads to. Also, in 1 Kings... Um, 1512 there's this this cult of sex that somebody tears down the idols and sends away the male prostitutes and says no more um and in first peter 2 11 it talks about sexual immorality as waging a war against our soul um so we're in essence we're destroying our bodies and our souls when we engage in uh, licentious sex and in Colossians 3, 5, it says that we're supposed to put to death our members. We're supposed to put this sin to death. Um, so basically, when we are using sex to worship ourselves, to deify our own pleasure, to make ourselves great, we are going to end up abusing someone. And, and something as flimsy as consent um, is simply not an adequate boundary. God's given us what sex should be and what he's made it for. So when we twist and, and, and uh, ruin that, it's going to destroy us. So, Tony, um, I know you were going to talk a little bit about uh, the sexual revolution as well and um, basically what happened after the 60s as things opened up in the culture. Um, what, what are some ways that the sexual revolution manifested itself in our culture? Um. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. So basically, the the culture that you just described, um, the um, justifies um, abuse, right? Um, and it created some pretty erroneous mindsets. So um, I wanted to to start our um, my my point with actually a quote from a um, a movie, and it's some. Um, Kind of, kind of vulgar. So, so hang with me here as I find it. Um, it's a woman um, talking about another man um, to to a friend of hers to to another man, and uh, she is admiring this guy named Ted, and she says, um, "Oh, he's delicious, isn't he?" I'd serve coffee on that ass. And her friend John says, do you have to be so vulgar about men? Like they're pieces of meat? And Denise says, sorry, John, I forgot you're sensitive about your flat ass. John responds by saying, you know, Denise, that's why you're not married. Women act like men, then they complain men don't want them. Denise, oh, is that why? Okay, because I thought it was something different. I thought that it was because I thought I deserved the best and he's out there. He's just with all the wrong women. And let me be clear, 
after centuries of men looking at my tits instead of my eyes and pinching my ass instead of shaking my hand, I now have the divine right to stare at a man's backside with vulgar, cheap appreciation if I want to. And a bystander says, well said. So here you have an example of a woman saying, actually, because of the, uh, of the culture of abuse, I have a right to treat men however I want. Um, I've, I have um, seen that, um, obviously, in my own life, I've experienced that women telling me the same thing. Um, women saying, you know, I, well, when I go to work, I just take off my wedding ring and, you know, all these different um, things, these gross things. Um, and I don't know if you guys remember when Hugh Hefner died, but um, the Playboy magazine founder, um, but I remember because my husband and I were walking past a display rack and one of the magazines um, that was there was, was celebrating the life of Hugh Hefner. And then right next to it was another magazine um, lamenting a movie star's sexual abuse in Hollywood. And the contrast was extremely startling to me. Um, so I, I started thinking about it and, um, and, and looking at Hugh Hefner's life, and he he claimed that he was proud that he changed the attitude uh, towards sex and decam uh, decontaminated, <clears throat> excuse me, the notion of premarital sex. And um, I have a quote here by his daughter, who uh, her name's Christy, and her justification of her father's life, and uh, she says. I think one of the things that led Playboy to its success was that it was based on the philosophy of, it, of ideas around social justice and personal freedom. I think it's fundamental to who he was and what Playboy is, a deep belief in social justice and personal freedom." Unquote. So um, I think what a lot of, what our culture gets wrong and what Ms. Hefner um, got wrong is that they misconstrue freedom. <clears throat> they think that by denying the existence of God um, and the consequence of sexual sin, that they can live in freedom, um, i.e., like what what they want, right, at the expense of others. Um, yeah, yeah. So um, if that's freedom, it's extremely temporary. But we know that it isn't freedom, right? What they're actually attempting to claim is autonomy. Um, release from responsibility, um, immunity to consequence, um, and a right to do their own pleasure. And that, that's not freedom, because um, you can um, uh, claim yourself exempt from the law and then go and uh, kill someone, and you're still going to be found guilty by the court. You're still going to be found um, guilty of murder. So ignoring and defying moral standards is not the definition of freedom. And um, what we have to remember is that there is a judge, um, God, and that there are co consequences to our sin. Um, and ultimately, um, a consequence would be hell, right? So um, in a world where people try to claim uh, the standard of morality as relative, we find explo exploitation of women uh, to be justified and even celebrated. Um, and the celebration of Hugh Hefner's life was an example of that. Um, 
this man literally created a multi-million entertainment empire that capitalized on women. Um, and yet he was praised and um, he, and that, and he was a very wicked man. And he advanced um, what Liz was talking about, that sexual revolution and the culture that we live in. Um, so um, obviously it's not just men who justify this kind of sexual liberation or freedom. It's also women, like how we started with the, the movie quote there. Um, and I've talked to many people who um, want to be able to be free in their sexual lifestyle and not have any judgment, um, whether that be from God or from people. Um, they want a world where no one can tell them what's too far or give them defined borders. Um, they want to define what is right for themselves. But unfortunately, uh, the that, that idea of subjective morality leads to um, a scary question. And um, what about the person who wants to say that pedophilia is morally justified for them or that rape is actually okay for them? Um, what about child porn or, um, you know, the, the people who pr propose subjective morality have no reason to give why these things are right or wrong or by what authority these actions um, um, should be labeled crimes or should be simply preferences. I, I think some try to weigh morality by whether something is legal or illegal. And um, legality is really a fickle statute to weigh justice on because depending on the time era or the dictator, um, morality would change, right? So that's that's not a good um, um, weight. Um, but something important to realize is that just because we don't like God's rules or we um, disagree or think them unfair does not invalidate um, God's rules or make them bad. Um, every human being is instilled with some sense of morality. Um, when we deem something fair, we need to ask ourselves, who said this is fair and by what authority? And um, the same thing when we condemn something as wrong, we have to ask, who said this is wrong and by what authority? So, um, which is what makes consent also a very flimsy um, boundary when it comes to um, sex. Some will say, well, as long as someone consents, it's okay. It doesn't matter what it is as long as there's consent. So how do you define consent? How do you have firm boundaries for consent? It just is, is uh, something that, again, makes man the authority and takes away God's authority where we have in marriage, you're responsible to God for how you treat the other person in that marriage um, and how you uphold that covenant. But when it's just consent between two people with no authority outside, then it's what you want to do. Um, your pleasure rules. Yes. Yeah. So I guess, um, lastly, we want to ask the question, is the Me Too movement a solution to the culture that we've described, or is it feminism? Um, I've heard a lot of people refer to the Me Too movement as like Twitter feminism, because um, it started on Twitter, right? Um, so before I can really answer that question, I really I wanted to quickly define what feminism is. Um, feminism, according to the dictionary, is um, it says, 
uh, is the theory of the political, economic, and social equality of the sexes, or organized activity on behalf of women's rights and interests. Um, so if that's the only definition, then feminism is really not a, a, a bad thing per se. Um, but looking at history, we see that that isn't all feminism has proven to be. Um, there are equality feminists, the feminists who um, wanted to change the unequal treatment of women. Uh, they um, advocated for women's rights, especially like in the political sphere. Um, suffrage. Saw, exactly, women's suffrage. Um, they sought equal wage in the workforce. Um, and they were, they were more the, the feminists like in the 1840s to the 1920s. And that's... Um, kind of that was their message. Um, secondly, we also find the gender feminists um, and they kind of seek to remove the distinction, the distinction between the genders. Um, and they think that by blurring that distinction, they can bring down tyranny and patriarchy and all that. So it's like the general, the gender neutral movement um, is kind of directly enforced uh, by these feminists. Um, and they could be also considered like the sexual revolution feminists. Um, so, right, because they wanted to erase the distinction between sexes in terms of access to licentiousness and um, ability to use sex as I desire, removing boundaries for both mm -hmm. sexes. So, yeah, they were trying to blur the lines. Right, right. Um, so, Either way, uh, either feminist group, uh, they recognized uh, the history of oppression against women, and yet a lot of them fail to recognize the most liberating force in all the world, and that's Christianity. Um, right. they, they they recognize the religious tyranny, uh, the traditions, the um, regulations, um, as a as an aid of oppressing women. Um, yet they fail to see how God. Um, is actually against these very same evils. Uh, they, they recognize marriages um, that have been used to manipulate the women in them, yet they've illogically condemned marriage in general. Uh, the Declaration of Feminism states that marriage has existed for the benefit of men and has been legally sanctioned method of control over women. We must work to destroy it. So, um, which is the obvious what biblical marriage is. Right, right. So that these feminists have obviously come to the wrong conclusion and, and condemned um, biblical principles and things and, and um, said that they have to defend women um, against these things. But feminists are not the first defenders of women. We see that the Bible strongly stands against the exploitation of women and treats them as equals um, to men in value. So, um, interestingly enough, um, not all feminists actually agree with the Me Too movement. Um, and, and part of that reason is because the Me Too movement isn't just founded by feminists like so many people think. Um, many complained that the Me Too movement was spawned by a bunch of women who were um, addicted to their victim status um, and simply out for blood. Um, and then others condemned the movement um, because they felt 
you know, uh, women ought to enjoy and pursue sex just like men. And, um, you know, that women ought to empower themselves and stop wallowing in their victimhood. Um, and instead, the Me Too movement has really shown itself to be kind of a collective outrage um, of society's acceptance of abusive women and kind of an outlet for these women to tell their stories and collaboratively fight against abuse. Um, the Me Too movement really um, exposed the idea that female vulnerability is a real thing. Um, and that's not a diss on men, um, but rather like just the, pointing out a simple fact that many women live in this state of um, like alertness and um, that many men have never even considered. Um, one of my favorite comments um, made by Gavin DeBecker, he wrote the book, um, Gift of Fear. And um, he said, it is understandable that the perspectives of men and women on safety are so different. Men and women live in different worlds. At core, men are afraid women will laugh at them, while at core, women are afraid men will kill them. And so I feel like the Me Too movement has kind of um, shed light on that subject. Um, it's also brought, go ahead. Oh, I was just thinking about how it, you were saying the Me Too movement has shed light on that subject. And it has, because the thing is, by saying that both sexes are equally able to um, abuse one another for sexual pleasure, or to use one another for sexual pleasure, to objectify each other, they completely deny, um, which is what the gender feminists were trying to do, the differences between men and women, and that women are the weaker vessel, are more vulnerable. And um, I have written down here uh, what a friend had said to me, an another member of the Monsters Regiment, when everyone does what they want, the vulnerable ones are the ones who pay. And exactly. essentially by saying we're all equal, we can all do whatever we want, they're denying the fact that um, God has made men and women very different from one another. And in denying that, they're denying that women can be abused. They're denying where sexual abuse will lead. We're putting women in these situations like um, – have you ever heard of the thing that happened with Aziz Ansari? Um, he was on a date with this uh, young lady, and she wrote about it. Well, she went back to his apartment with him and um, consented to as her her uh, account of it is very graphic, and I don't want to get too graphic, but consented to sexual activity with him, but didn't really feel like doing it. And so she was upset because she felt like he took advantage of her and used her. Um, mm -hmm. she, she went home in the cab crying. But at the same time, she also um, had given assent at some level. And so, like, the lines were very blurry between what was him taking advantage of her and what was her uh, agreeing to do certain things. So both of their stories are very different. She says he <laughs> took advantage of her. He says, well, I was under the impression that she was consenting. Um, so, like, those lines are blurred um, 
by saying we're all essentially the same, we can all essentially use one another for our own pleasure, it sets up for a culture, a rape culture, a culture of abuse. Because, you know, it's perfectly fine for, there's no boundary other than a woman's consent. And a lot of times women, um, this is just a thing that we do, we feel pressured. We don't want someone to feel badly of us or think badly of us. And so we'll do something we really don't want to do, but because we feel in the moment that it's expected of us, um, right. we'll do that. In this says, well, yes, I'll, I'll bring a plate of cookies to that picnic um, or in ways as destructive as I don't really want to do this, but I feel like I came up to your apartment with you. So you expect me to do it. Um, so it's blurring those lines and ignoring the fact that she was more vulnerable in that situation and not to be too graphic, but the one who can be, um, penetrated, taken advantage of, she is going to become the prey. Mm -hmm. Um, and there, there just is, there's a physiological difference. There's an emotional difference. There's a, there's just huge differences between men and women. And when we take away those distinctions and, and say everybody can just avail themselves of sex, however they like, we put everybody into uh, positions for uh, abuse and abusing one another. Yes. Um, I, I totally agree. I think um, we have, we obviously we have to be careful because um, some people you know, the Me Too movement might have some fake victims in there, pe- people that really weren't um, victimized and all that. Um, but the movement definitely has brought some imperative thoughts to the table, um, so, like what you were talking about as far as like, um, is it ever the victim's fault for her abuse? Um, is there such a thing as implied consent? Um you know, what does consent look like? Um, um, does the victim have to say no to make her rape actually a legitimate rape? Um, does our culture sympathize with the abuser? And if so, how can we change that? Um, just in my own experience of speaking out about these issues, I've had some really concerning conversations with people where they've asked, you know, well, how is the woman dressed in that incident? Um, was she really sold into trafficking or was she a prostitute by choice? Um, why didn't she scream and get people to help her? Um, was she out by night by herself? Or um, maybe, maybe that um, wife was just really nagging and, and abusive emotionally. And that's why she was treated that way. Um, I feel like the movement has really, um, brought some of those things to the table and has gotten people to discuss these issues. Um, and I think one of the most important healing tools that we can give a victim is their voice and obviously a, a listening ear. Um, and so the movement has given women, um, kind of the permission to speak out against their abusers. Um, and it also just by sheer number, um, has kind of proven that our society is guilty of objectification of women. Um, and so really, um, 
Injustice thrives in a society that ignores the assault of the weak. And the Me Too movement has kind of shed some light on that. Um, right. So the Me Too movement, I, I, I don't think it's a, a negative thing. I think it's actually just kind of like turning on the light switch to our dark culture and showing what our culture really is and what the sex revolution has done to our culture. Right. That's exactly what it's done. So um, I think we'll pretty much wrap up with that thought. That's, yeah, I, I think it's a very accurate assessment of the situation. The sexual revolution has led to um, boundaries being broken down, um, protections being taken away. Um, it's led to a denial of what God has created sex for. Um, it's led to a denial of God's law and his, his salvation. And it's led as a result to abuse of self and abuse of others. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Me Too movement is the necessary response to that of saying, this is abuse. Look what we've done. Yeah. So um, anyways, uh, thank you for joining the, John the Monstrous Regiment, Tony. This has been a joy. And... Um, Yes, serious, yes, a serious subject, but definitely something that should should be talked about. So. Thank you for listening to the Monstrous Regiment. We hope this podcast inspires and equips you to go and exercise dominion for Christ's kingdom. Terrible as an army with banners. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.